in the fourth chapter of the letter to the Ephesians, the apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gave instructions to the local church concerning the role of pastors and members of the local church. Uh, Last week, we considered six points. I said I had seven points. It was actually six points uh, from the scriptures concerning the roles of pastors in the local church. We first learned that the Lord Jesus Christ, the enthroned Savior King of his church, has given pastor elders to his church, listen to this, as gifts. Your pastor elders of the local church are gifts from Christ. Christ lived, died, rose from the dead, ascended into glory, and the ascended Lord of glory has given pastors as gifts to his bride, the local church. Secondly, we learn that pastors are gifted by Christ for, remember that for, for, and unto, gifted by Christ for the equipping of the saints. That is for the preparedness so that saints may be prepared in the body of Christ. Now, we asked last week, prepared for what? God himself answers that question through the apostle. Pastors are gifted uh, by Christ for the equipping of the saints. Thirdly, for the work of service. Pastors are, are to equip the saints for the work of service. We learn that this does not mean that we are all to be equipped. Listen to this closely. That we are not all to be equipped to become pastors. That's not why you are being equipped. That's not the purpose of your equippedness. But we are equipped that we might serve the members of the local church as we speak the truth to one another in love. That is why you are being equipped, so that you may serve the members of this local body. What is the result of the pastor's ministry, or what is the result of the pastor's ministry as he, as the saints serve in the local church? Fourthly, we said, pastors are gifted by Christ to the local church for the building up of the body of Christ. This is the end result. As the word of Christ is brought to the people of Christ by the pastor, the body of Christ is then built up or strengthened. The body of Christ is strengthened by the word of Christ as the people of God obey the word of Christ. Amen. Amen. Fifthly, Christ gives pastors to his church for a distinct duration and a specific purpose. What is that specific duration? It is unto. What is the the specific purpose? It is unto, or as Paul says in Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So there, uh, there, there is a, a multifaceted purpose in the end result of Christ's ministry or, or pastor's ministry upon the church. That is, Christ has given the pastor to the church for a specific duration that should produce a specific effect on the people of Christ. That we all have attained the unity of the faith. How was that accomplished? By gaining knowledge of the Son of God. What does that produce? A mature man or a mature church. When we are, when the Word of God is brought to bear upon our lives, when we obey the Word of God, it produces maturity in the people of God. This is what we concluded last week. Christ gives pastors to His church to produce distinct effects upon the church. Unity. Knowledge of the Son of God. Maturity. And the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness in Christ. That's the, that's the, the end result of all the ministry of the pastor as he is gifted by Christ for the church. This should be the result that we see here in the church. Does it happen perfectly in every church? No. Why? Because the church is filled with sinners. Amen. We talked about that last week. So if we, if we're not seeing that, it's not always a result of what we're teaching. It's often a result of what people are not receiving, which we'll talk about today. Now, this week, with God's help, we shall consider six points, and there will be six this time, concerning the role of members in the local church. And I will often be referring to the members of the body, or the members of the local church, as the body of Christ, or the body in this sermon, okay? So let's stand for the reading of God's word, if you are able. If not, if you're taking care of a little one who has fallen asleep on you, then that's okay. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. That was my son I was speaking of, by the way. 
Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing uh, forbearance or tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he has also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together, fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the body, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Point number one, the members of the local church, this will be our longest point, are identifiable. The members of the local church are identifiable. The Apostle Paul writing to the church of Ephesus and with this chapter, the second part or second half of his letter begins. Paul has dealt with the great and eternal truths of the Christian faith with the function of the church in the plan of God. And now he begins to draw out what each member of the body must be if it, the body, is to carry out her part in that great plan of God. We could say that the first three chapters of the book of Ephesus or Ephesians dealt with the orthodox teachings of the Christian faith. And now the next three chapters will deal with the orthodox practice of the Christian faith. This is who we are and what we believe. Therefore, this is how we live in light of the things that we confess or affirm. Or or this could rightly be called orthodoxy and orthopraxy. This is who we are. So this is how we live. This is what we have become in Christ. Therefore, this is the result in our own personal lives. Amen. And when the apostle addresses this church, he speaks with identifiable members in mind, identifiable members of the body in mind. There are parts that he is addressing that make up the whole. There are parts that he is addressing But he is speaking to the whole, if that makes sense. The apostle is not writing a random letter, hoping that what he is writing will some way somehow benefit someone in the church, but not knowing who. Rather, the apostle is writing to a specific church in a specific location whose members were identifiable. Now, how do we know that the church that gathered in Ephesus was identifiable and that the members of each church were identifiable, not not just in Ephesus, but of all the churches were identifiable. And here's another question. And why is this important? Why does that even matter? We know that not only the church, the church or the members of Ephesus, but all the churches of the New Testament contained identifiable members because of this. Here's the reason why. Because of the specific instructions and commands given by the apostles and because of the specific greetings and warnings given by the apostles to those local churches. Does that make sense? Here's what I mean. Here's a few examples. Romans 16, 1, the apostle commends Sister Phoebe to the church that met there in Rome. He commends Phoebe to that particular church. The apostle asks that she be welcomed and received into that local church. As what? 
as an identifiable member who truly confesses Christ. She was a, a companion or a co-worker with Christ or with Paul. And Paul is commending her to that church. She, or recommending her to that church, she is a faithful, true confessor of Christ. Receive her as one of yours. Make sense? Also in Romans 16, 3, the apostle asks for a greeting to be extended to Prisca and Aquila. For they were not only identifiable members of a local church, but they, they, they as Paul says, they risked their own necks. For the apostle, for him, not only this, but the church in Rome assembled or met at Prisca and Aquila's house. The apostle goes on to ask that greetings also be extended to other identifiable members of that church that gathered in Rome. Epinatius, Mary, Andronicus, Cunius, Ampliatus, Urbanus, and a host, a host of others. Now, let me ask you a question. How else... Would these individuals be able to be recognized by the Apostle Paul as being members of that church if they weren't identifiable members of that local church? Paul knew where they were. He knew where they worshipped. He knew that they were identifiable members of that particular church. And that the church also recognized those people as being members of that particular body. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle addresses an issue that has arisen in, the, in that local church in Corinth of a man who was committing adultery with his father's wife. This man was a recognizable member of that church and needed to be rebuked and disciplined for his sin. Actually, Paul says, excommunicate him. Obey Christ. Oh, Paul is calling the church to obey Christ and execute, excommunicate, not executing, excommunicating the sinful man who was slandering Christ by bringing a bad witness upon the church. This removing of this man from membership or excommunication gives evidence that this man was a recognizable member of that local church. How could you excommunicate or disassociate from someone who is not first an associate? Then in 2 Corinthians, Paul calls the church to practice forgiveness and receive this same man who had committed adultery because this man, the same man, was displaying true repentance. Paul calls the church to allow the man back into membership. Welcome this brother back in. Once again, just as this is just one of many examples of the local church being comprised of recognizable members, Paul also warns, be careful of this individual. Be careful of that individual. They have done much harm to me. Now, why is this an important point to make for us in our role as members of the local church or, or members of the body of Christ? It's an important point for us to make for two reasons. An identifiable body is important because then pastors know who they are to shepherd. When a pastor sees a recognizable, identifiable member of the body, that member and that pastor know we are now committed to one another. We are not committed to visitors. Why? Because of visiting. We are not committed to passerbys on the street. Why? Because they've not committed themselves to this local body. They've not committed themselves to coming under the eldership of the, of, the, of the leadership here, nor have they committed themselves to you. So they are not recognizable or identifiable. They may be believers, but they are not recognizable in this local church as being a part of this particular local congregation. Does that make sense? The apostle in Acts 20, 28, the apostle commands the elders of the church, the church of Ephesus, by, by the way, to shepherd the flock that have been charged they have been charged with overseeing by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has charged a specific group of men gifted by Christ to oversee a local church. And that gift has been given to them by the Holy Spirit. Pastors are to shepherd a specific local identifiable body. Pastors are not to shepherd the entire body of Christ. Amen. Pastors, Christ has gifted specific men to specific churches and to, to shepherd those in that specific church we are not to shepherd every believer all over the world why i don't know all the believers all over the world we don't know who all the believers are we have been uh, accountable to a specific people that's who we're going to shepherd we are not charged with shepherding every member of the body of christ all over the world and likewise members are not to to come under every pastor all over the world you have been placed under a specific pastor. 
Christ has gifted you with a specific leader, leaders, pastor, elders, for the benefit of your soul. You are not, although we appreciate many pastors, we are not under the leadership of every pastor all over the world. You belong to a specific church. You are under specific pastor elders. They are your gift from Christ, and they have been charged to shepherd you. The second reason why this is an important point, because Christ, because the members of Christ's body, you guys, have been given specific commands that you, we, are to obey within the context of a local church. Meaning this, if you don't know who the members of this local church are, then you don't know who you are to obey. You don't know who you are to practice the commands that have been given to you. Meaning this, Mark 9.50, be at peace with one another. John, John 13, 34, love one another. This is a repeated command. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Romans 12, 10, honor one another above yourselves. There are 56 other one another commands. Who are you supposed to practice and obey those commands with? Everybody in the entire world? Well, to the best of our ability, we are to be at peace with our fellow man made in God's image. But specifically, these commands are, are directed toward you, the body, and the body. Does that make sense? These one another's are to be practiced within the context of the local church. You are to love one another. You are to bear with one another. You are to encourage one another. You are to pray for one another. Do we pray for the entire body of Christ when we do pray? Yes, we do. But do we get more specific when we pray for this local church? Yes, we do. Why? Because that's what we are commanded to do. So you won't know how you are to obey these commands if you don't know who you are to practice obeying the commands for. Amen. What is more, in Hebrews, the members of the body have been commanded to obey their leaders, to submit to their leaders in the local church. How do you know? How do you obey that command if you don't know who your leaders are? Amen. Are believers to submit to every pastor all over the world? No. To the ones that Christ has gifted you with in that local church. So although, again, we love and appreciate other pastors, your pastors, unfortunately, are the ones standing in front of you. And hopefully, fortunately for some of you. Christ has gifted you with specific shepherds over your soul. All of this assumes, and it is a safe assumption, that some sort of process by which those who confess faith in Christ have become recognizable members of a, spe- of a specific local gathering. Does that make sense? Meaning this, we assume there was some way that the early church went about affirming those who confess faith in Christ. There was some process by which they recognized, yes, you are one of us. This was commanded by Christ in Matthew 16 and 18, where the keys of the kingdom are given to the local church. If a local body affirms one confession, they say, yes, that is a true confessor or true confession from a true confessor. Then we are only recognizing what has already been recognized in heaven. You are a believer. If the church denies one's confession, then we are denying what has already been denied in heaven. No, you are not one of the flock. The apostle says in Ephesians 4, 4, there was one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father who was over all and through all and in all. It is believed that these, these ones were the things that potential members needed to confess in order to be accepted into a local church. And it is also believed that these, these confessions, one Lord, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God who was over all, that these things were also confessed at their baptism. This is how they recognize these are members of the local church. They are one of us. Much more could be said about that. Confessors of Christ are identifiable members of a specific local church. If you are going to a church and you're going consistently, what's stopping you from joining that church? What's stopping you from identifying yourself with that church and say, yes, I am one of you. Growing up in the churches that I grew up in, the church that I grew up in, you just if you showed up, you're a member. And if you left, you left. No one knew. Well, they probably knew, but there was no process by which you added and no, pro- no, no process by which you left. You just came and you went. That's not the way the body of Christ maintains strength and unity. Dear friend, are you an identifiable member of a local church? 
If Paul were writing to you, where would he find you? And would you be a recognizable member of that local church? Would they say, oh, yes, I know Anthony. He's one of us. Would they say, yes, I know Martina. He is one of us. Or would they say, I don't know who that is. I encourage you to think about that today. Secondly, the body of Christ is to be an educated body. This is contained within all the verses that we read this morning in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. The body of Christ is to be an educated body. As we read our text, we find that the apostle is commanding the body of Christ to be an educated body. In verse 11, we are told that Christ has given gifts to the local church. They are pastors and teachers who are given for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, for the building up of the body. Listen to this. Until we all attain to the unity, unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Pastors have been gifted by Christ to equip the saints with right knowledge, right doctrine, right theology. The saints are to be equipped with the knowledge of God's word. You come to receive God's word. And yes, it is deeper than the kitchen sink. It is very deep. It will challenge you to think. But God has called the body of Christ to be an educated body. If Sister Doreen were here, and she'll be here in a few weeks, she will remember that there was a time when there was a member of this church who said, don't teach what you're teaching to this congregation. And I said, why? He said, because 95% of them, or a certain percentage, don't even have their GED. Why would you teach these things to them? I said, does a person, does the Holy Spirit look at a person's education before he teaches them anything? This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables you to know. The Holy Spirit enables you to understand. There is effort on our part. But it is also our job as elders to give you the knowledge of Christ. And trust that the Spirit of God will make sense of what is being given to you. It is the responsibility of pastor elders to be equipped with right doctrine. And in turn, equip the saints with right doctrine or right knowledge. And this may sound like, it sounds like church is is a type of school. And you're right. It is a type of school. It's a school of Christ for every believer. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head of Christ, who is the head, even Christ. We, the body of Christ, are not to speak our own ideas, our own personal likes or dislikes. We are to speak the truth. What is truth? What is truth? God's word is truth. The only infallible truth is the infallible truth of God's word. And it is the task of the the, the elders to educate the people of God on God's word. We are not able to speak the truth to one another if we don't know the truth. We must not be children who are absent from reason, absent from good judgment. We must be uh, not. We must not be children who are easily swayed by every wind of doctrine, but we must grow up. Grow up. And we grow up when we are educated in the truth. When we know God's truth. And when we know God's truth, God's truth holds you fast. It keeps you from being swayed from left to right. It it keeps you from being tricked by cunning men. Because you know truth. God's truth protects the people of God from the attacks of the evil one. This means that the body of Christ must be a rightly educated body of Christ, educated in the truth of God's word. We speak the truth. And it's spoken in love. But the truth spoken in love does not mean that truth is candy-coated so that the receiver might enjoy the taste. Not so. Truth is spoken in love. But truth spoken in love must be understood in the context in this. In order for you to truly show that you love me, you tell me the truth. You're, you're, the, the greatest way that you can tell me, show me as a fellow believer that you care for me is by not lying to me, by not deceiving me, by telling me the truth. And for many, their relationships with so-called friends is a mirage. Why? Because of lack of truth telling. Because of lack of honesty. You, you are truly taught God's word without ulterior motives, but with the goal of helping you grow up in all aspects into Christ the head. Truth is confrontational. 
Do you know how much someone has to love you in order to, to risk the confrontation that will no doubt take place when you tell the truth? Truth will always confront. It will always challenge wrong assumptions, wrong beliefs, wrong actions. But truth is spoken in order to correct and ultimately to benefit the receiver to help them be better, to grow up in Christ. And if we reject that, then what immature babes we are. The apostle is calling us to grow up. Christ is the minister of his body. And through the ordained minister's proclamation of an administration, administering of the word of Christ, truth is spoken, the people of Christ are educated, and we grow up. Three, the body of Christ is to be a receptive body. Or I could say, therefore, number three, the body of Christ is to be a receptive body. Again, from our verses, verses 1 through 16, thus far we have an identifiable body, an educated body, and now a receptive body. Since, by instruction, pastors are to ground the people of God in the truth of God to protect them from error, then the sheep ought to be eager to receive instruction from their pastor elders. We should be eager to receive instruction. We should all desire instruction. First uh, Peter 2.2. 2. Listen to this. Like newborn babes or babies... Long for the pure milk of the word so that by it, here's what Peter says, you may grow up, grow in, in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now listen to this. The apostle Paul and the apostle Peter are both calling the people of God to grow up. Paul says, don't be easily swayed like little children. Grow up. Peter says, be like infants that desire pure milk from the word. So that you may grow up. Not a contradiction, but both saying the same thing in a different way. Grow up. It is a responsibility of pastor elders to deliver the truth of God. And it is the responsibility of the body to receive truth from God. Amen. Pastor elders are, de- are the deliverers. The body is the receptors or the receivers who eagerly, 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 eagerly receive God's word. Now, this is a good time to ask. Do you eagerly hunger and thirst for God's word? Do you eagerly hunger and thirst for God's word? Is God's word. Let let me pause for a second. Little ones, we also speak to you. We are not simply asking your parents, do you want God's word? We are also speaking to you little ones. Do you want God's word? Is it something that when you don't do family worship with your parents, you miss Do you ask your mommy and daddy, mommy and daddy, are we going to to walk through God's word today? We're missing something today. Parents, it is your responsibility to instill that hunger in your children. It is your responsibility to instill fathers, instill that hunger in your wives. Wives, it is not your job to instill it into your husbands. And if it is, if you are doing those things, pray for them earnestly. That God would would give them a hunger and desire for his word so that they may lead you the way God has intended. Is God's word true meat for you and true drink for you? Do you long for God's word as as a means of satisfying your soul? The answer to that question may be honestly answered, yes, I do, at least at times. And I can also honestly say that sometimes I don't feel like Like I desire God's word at all. That's an honest answer. Well, pray that the Lord give you more times that that you eagerly desire God's word. And dear ones, if you are truly convinced in your heart when, when you are asked the question, do you want God's word? If you truly say, yes, I do want it. I do know that I, I know that I should want it. Then that knowing of truth will help you walk over your emotions. That knowing of what you know you need will help you walk over your feelings and come under God's word. We must never allow how we are feeling each Lord's day to dictate whether or not we will gather with the saints for worship. We don't judge our attendance, our church attendance, based upon the temperature of our souls. I'm not feeling it today. Just not going to go. That's not a good reason for you to stay back from worshiping with the saints. If, if that was the case, if we, we measured our church attendance based upon the temperature of our souls, we would never come. 
How many of you, like I did today, wake up in the morning and say, gosh, I could use sleeping until 10 today. I know church starts at 10, but gosh, I could really use sleeping until 10 today. Listen, I'm with you. I'm not standing up here saying, I always want to be here. I love it. (laughs) Every Lord's Day, I'm wide awake. I wake up tired. I wake up sometimes frustrated. I wake up sometimes thinking, Lord, when are you coming back? Could it be today? Maybe before church. And and when we have these feelings, they're wrong feelings. Let's ask God to forgive us for those feelings and for those thoughts, for they are sinful. We must desire truth and desire to be protected from error. We must be eager to receive God's word. And when we're not, pray to the Lord. Pray that he help you in your weaknesses. For we are all weak. We are all weak. But in Christ, we can be strong. Pray that the Lord add knowledge to the knowledge that we possess so that we, and then that which we possess becomes even more clearer so that we may know him better, worship him better and grow up. We must entrust ourselves to the oversight of pastor elders. We must say with sincere humility, pastor, don't let me become uh, complacent. Don't let me become lazy. Call me on my bad habits. Anything that would hinder me from drinking the pure milk of God's word, correct me. So that I will grow up because I really want that. Brothers and sisters, are you that kind of member? Are you open to receiving? Are you eager to learn? Are you open to correction? The prideful member says, I don't need you to tell me anything. I got this. Or they may say, oh, yes, correct me. But when corrected, they are offended. You know, Isaiah said this to me. Pastor Isaiah said this to me as we were driving for work. As believers, we need to develop thick skin. Have you learned that yet? We need to develop thick skin. Because we will be offended. This is not the way that we grow up when we are thin skinned. Everything offends us. We can't maintain the unity of the, of the, that the spirit has provided for us when we are always offended. And sometimes not by a word, just by a look. Be humble. Receive God's word. And the correction that will inevitably come. In order to be receptive to the preached word, you must engage your minds. For your minds will be challenged to think deep, to think critically, to think biblically. We must reject the idea that we don't come to church to think. We come to church to feel. Many go to churches for that reason. I love the way it makes me feel. I love the way the song makes me feel. And we've also now adapted our church uh, ambiance. To cater to your feelings. We've changed the lighting. We've changed the, the moods in here so that when you come in here, the mood is already in, in such a way that you are feeling good. What does the pastor say as soon as he comes up? How are y'all feeling? <laughs> I don't care how you're, well, I know, listen, if we're honest about how we're feeling, we could all say, I'm not feeling too good today. I'm feeling sick. I'm tired. I've got an ache in my back. I'm only 39. How am I aching already? I don't feel good. But when we know that there is truth being delivered, we will put our feelings in check by the truth. Feelings are not sinful. But our feelings must be motivated by proper, truthful thinking. Our feelings must be motivated or controlled by the truth of God's word. Brothers and sisters, do we not realize the refuge that God's word is for the people of God when we come into the house of God. We are opposed by the world. We are opposed by the flesh. We are opposed by the devil on a daily basis. The wicked appear to be prospering on a daily basis. Those who once walked with us on this narrow road are no longer our traveling companions. And with all of these realities, we are often tempted to despair. We are often tempted to abandon our faith. But then we come to church. Somehow, some way, by the grace of God, we get here. And then like the psalmist who says, my feet almost slipped. I almost was tempted to despair. And then I entered the sanctuary of God. And what was the result of entering the sanctuary of God? The psalmist was reoriented. He was, he was reset by the preaching of God's word. By, by the fellowship of the saints, by the, by the hearing of prayers, by the hearing of God's word, by the, by the, by the Lord's Supper and by baptism. 
the psalmist was once again able to, by the grace of God, fix his eyes or turn his eyes upon Jesus. To look full in his wonderful face. And, and all of those things of the earth become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace as the, as the, the hymn goes. When we come into the house of the Lord, our eyes are once again fixed and refocused on Christ. And this happens for the believer each week as he gathers with the body and receives, receives God's word. It is not because the preacher is preaching to satisfy felt needs of each individual. How hard would that be? I've got to make sure that I, I preach something that I know that she'll like this week. Oh, you? Okay, I'll, next week I got you. I'll make something special just for you. The elder pastors, they are not chefs who say, what would you like today, madame? Good choice, sir. And the members are not restaurateurs. Uh, give me. Yes, that looks like a great choice. No. We come to receive God's word. There is no way to shepherd that way and no way for the body to grow up that way. And listen, what we want, our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are wicked. They need to be conformed to the image of Christ. And how has that happened? By the word of Christ. We as the members of Christ's body, we ask the Lord to help us trust him even in deep waters. When we are going through things that seem very difficult to understand, trust him. And then we also must ask the Lord to give us faith that this is truth. Faith to be patient as we are learning. And we must also ask him to give us the personal effort necessary to apprehend and better understand his word. It takes work, doesn't it? It takes effort, doesn't it? In speaking in our narrow road class about the impassibility of God, we made the point that God speaks to us in ways that we can understand. And yet we still misunderstand because we are creatures. We want to understand. We desire to know all things. And when we don't know all things, we are frustrated. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with that teacher? But it's nothing wrong with you, nothing wrong with the teacher. We must learn to praise God even in mystery. We must learn to exalt the Lord in that which we cannot comprehend because it once again reminds us that he is the creator and we are the creature. And that we need him every single day to make sense of that which is always going to be somewhat mysterious to us. We're not going to know everything. We're just not. We're not going to understand everything. It's not to say that we can't understand anything. And that takes maximum effort on the part of God's people to eagerly receive the truth as it is faithfully delivered Lord's Day after Lord's Day. Number four, let me say this. I said this last week. As I'm speaking, I'm speaking of in, in 38, coming up on 39 years of being in church and 20 years of being in ministry. We are not individually speaking of one. This is all, all of the body of Christ. This is what we all do. Amen. Number four, in order for the body of Christ to be a body, the members must be present. Pretty simple, right? In order for the body of Christ to be a body, the members must be present. Verse 16 of Ephesians chapter four, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working, workings of each individual part causes the growth of the body. For the building up of itself in love. Brothers and sisters, we have spoken of an identifiable body, an educated body, a receptive body. But how will all of these things be accomplished if the body is not present? We must be committed to a principled approach to church attendance. Not only on paper, but on in our hearts and on our calendars. The church is gathering. I will be there. How did the early church grow as tremendously as it did? Well, we might answer first because Christ has promised to build his church and that the gates of hell would not overcome her. But we could say maybe not in order of reasons, but at least one of the factors of the growth was that there was and there remains a weekly gathering of the saints. There was and there remains. How did the early church grow? Because the early church met every Lord's Day. They, they gathered on the first day of the week. They gathered to celebrate the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord. They obeyed the command from God. Hebrews eleven twenty five. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. 
not forsaking the assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer to the Hebrews said that this forsaking of meeting was the habit of some. But today, this forsaking of gathering is the habit of most. In Paul's day, the the forsaking of gathering, the not assembling with the other saints was the habit of some. Today it appears it is the habit of most professors, confessors of the faith. Forsaken is to abandon. It's referring to those who who feared assembling because of the threat of persecution upon believing Christians. So they were not assembling out of fear of persecution. Are you with me? In so doing, they were not only disobeying the command of God to gather with the saints, to, to uh, to take part in the regular uh, means of grace, the preach word, the ordinances, the Lord's Supper and baptism, but they were also refusing, refusing to identify with the body of Christ out of fear of being persecuted for the faith. Forsaking, meaning abandoning their brothers and sisters in the faith when they needed them most. Imagine... The church is gathering on the Lord's day. Will you be there? I'm not sure. Why not? Well, you know that Christians are being put to death right now. But the other saints will be gathering. Well, let them know my prayers are with them. The church goes to church. The church gathers. The church goes to church. They receive God's word. They obey God's word. We, we must not think that those who have come before us had easier opportunities to gather, that their lives were so much more easier and that they could all gather in, in more peaceful ways without all the drama that's going on in our lives. Not so. They gathered in spite of persecution, in spite of threats of death. We must view ourselves as part of the whole. We must view ourselves as a member of the church that makes up the whole. That, that, that the parts function together for the building up of the whole. Last week we, we discussed how we are not feet. I said foots. We are not feet, hands, ears, and eyes that are disconnected from the rest of the body. How can the foot function apart from the body? You imagine seeing a foot. It's going down the street all by itself. You would say, foot, what are you doing? Where's the rest of your body? I don't need the rest of my body. I just, I get along okay. And then you would go to the other parts of the body and say, how are you functioning apart from this foot? And the body would say, it's tough. It's tough. We've been, we've been trying for a long time to get along with not only the foot, but the toes that are, that are the little toes, your little kids that, are, that belong to that. I just became a pedo-baptist all of a sudden. Sorry. Uh, you're, take, just cut that out of the, your foot, right? How can the foot function apart from the body? And likewise, how can the body function apart from the foot? It's not intended to be that way. Christ has not created his body to function in that way. The parts of the body have not been created apart from the whole. They've been created together. This is why the apostle uses this this metaphor of a body. And what what an appropriate example it is. When the parts of the body are absent or when they are working only in a small percentage of the time. They are there, but they are, they are only active a small percentage of the time. The body is not able to function properly. The body is hindered. The body is crippled. The body is disabled. And if you see this metaphor of the body, then it makes more sense about how you play a part in this big body. We are not able to operate to the, to the fullness of our capacity if we are not all present and active, which we'll get to in a moment. Now, this does not apply to the times that we are sick. It's not applied to the times when we are unable to attend. What do you do when those, those parts of the body are sick? You tend to them. You don't cut them off. Right? What, what, what do you do when there are parts of the body that need special attention because there are, are things that they must attend to? It's a work of mercy or necessity. You tend to them. You don't cut them off. 
But this is speaking about the times that we miss the gathering of the saints for unnecessary. The game's on tonight. And thank God the Warriors didn't play on a Sunday this year. For unwise. I think I would like to go shoe shopping myself. Shoe shopping instead of going to church. And altogether unbiblical reasons. When we miss for unnecessary, unwise, or unbiblical reasons, we hinder, we do damage to the body. We must not think of the church in terms of this. The only person that really needs to be there is the pastor. Imagine if all you stayed home and I was the only one preaching today. If it's the pastor's job to preach, it's the the body's job to be there to receive. For my part is the mouth. I am one of the mouths. So the pastor, elder, is not is not the only important part of this body. We all function together as members of the body of Christ. We must all be present and active in this body. We must not forsake each other. For although we are not experiencing the persecution of the early church, there are people who are coming in that are at any moment are going to deliver a baby. There are people who are coming in who may be dealing with depression. There are people who are coming in who have marital struggles. There are people who are coming in that have uh, financial and work struggles. They need you. They need you more than you realize. Your presence is important. And we miss church for reasons that would never fly at work. Call your boss on Monday morning and tell me, you know, I'm tired today. Not feeling it. I'm not coming in. The boss might say, well, that's great. Stay home. Get your rest. Come back tomorrow. And if you're not feeling better tomorrow, don't worry about it. I see some of the men laughing. Especially men who work in in the main area of work here in Bakersfield. You, You would be let go. You would be easily replaced. Call your boss. Tell I'm in a bad mood today. Really bad mood. Not coming in. See how long you keep your job. In order for the body to function, that's a funny, but it's true. In order for the body to be the body, all parts must be present. But are we just present? Number five, the parts of the body must be active. The parts of the body must be active. We are not just here and then we're gone. Never to interact. Never to encourage. Never to give others the chance to to love us or us to love them. Never to weep with those who weep. Never to rejoice with those who rejoice. Never to forgive. Never to pray with. Never to correct, etc., etc. As I mentioned before, there are at least 59 one another's that we are called to obey and to act upon in this local church as we gather on the Lord's Day. The church is given orthodoxy by the pulpit. The church responds with orthopraxy. Live it out. Right doctrine followed by right living. The pastor proclaims, he preserves the truth. The body hears, understands, practices, and then speaks to the other parts, truth in love. There is nothing of an only exclusive personal receiving of God's word. There is nothing of, I go, I'm in my cubicle. Don't talk to me, don't look at me, don't look over my cubicle. I'm getting my work done here. And then I'll clock in and maybe I'll see you tomorrow as we clock in and no more. There is a personal and also together receiving of God's word in the scriptures. The local church will function properly when all of the body functions together. Do you love each other? Do you desire to walk through this Christian walk life with those who are sitting around you? Because that's who God has gifted you with right now. Are you only concerned for yourself? Are you praying that God, God will send more people to the church who are just like you? So then you can have your own little clique, your own little gang. And not have to worry about the rest of the people in this church. That's not what the body is called to be. How often have you spoken to each other? Not about gossip, but mutually encouraging each other. Mutually edifying each other, mutually correcting each other, mutually teaching each other, mutually praying for one another in order to build up the body. For this is what the body of Christ is called to do. Brothers and sisters, this is how you're active in the local church. We must not think for one moment the only activity is this teaching behind the pulpit. And if we're not teaching behind a pulpit, then we play no part in the functioning of the body. That we are unnecessary. 
I said before, we are not all mouths. And we must not think, you're right, maybe I can begin to usher or greet or work in the sound. Those are definitely places, especially right now, that are needed. But ushering is not nearly as important as speaking the truth and love to the body. That's how you can be more active. Ushering is, and I don't mean to pick on ushering, praise God for ushering. I don't, ushering is not nearly as important as praying for the body, praying with the body. That's how you can be active in this church. Ushering is not nearly as important as encouraging the body. This along with the other one another's, and there are 56 now others that you can look up, is that which we are called as the body to obey. And it is your primary way of being active in the local church. There have been those who have come before who have said, I want to preach. Just be a good member. Love the church. That can be the primary way that you show you are active in this body. You don't need to be right here because not everybody's going to be right here. But you could be loving people and praying for people and you can make this job of preaching here a lot more easier. Amen. Amen. Number six. Love for the saints is the true mark of the body of Christ. What is the member supposed to do? Love for the saints is the true mark of the body of Christ. Therefore, I, prisoner, Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. If you're, if you're taking notes, circle that word, implore you to walk worthy, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, show tolerance for one another to love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The apostle gives a command from the Holy Spirit. Listen, with that imperative, I implore you to walk in such a manner. If we are truly the people of God, then let us walk, live, conduct ourselves in this way. Who we are affects what we do. And what we do is based upon who we are. We walk in a manner that is humble because we are believers. We walk in a manner that is gentle because we are believers. We walk in a manner that is tolerant because we're believers. We walk in a manner that displays that we have been united by the Spirit of God. It was the plan of God to bring a particular people together for His own praise and glory. We have been forgiven of sins. We have been knitted together. Like it or not, we've been knitted together with others to carry out God's plan in all of history for the church. This is the plan of God. And we, the people of God, should rejoice in the plans and purposes of God in joining with every person from nation, tribes, and tongues to glorify God together. And in doing so, we become great witnesses to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to an unbelieving world. And it takes effort. It's worth the effort, though. This is why the apostle makes a great plea. I am imploring you because our unity is bigger than our little dis- dis- uh, uh, disagreements. That's the word. Our unity is bigger than our disagreements. It's bigger than us. It's about the gospel. Just like in marriages, we reconcile because ultimately our marriage is not so much about our hurt feelings. It's about the gospel. What I'm displaying, what me and my wife are displaying to our son, what we're displaying to family who is is unbelieving, what we're displaying to the rest of the world by forgiving one another when we offend one another. What does it mean when I say that I love God and hate his church? John said it means you're a liar. (laughs) What does it mean when I say I love God, but I hate his church? I don't love that person now. First John says it means you're a liar. Well, I don't hate them. Just don't like them <laughs> as if there's a difference, right? You're just trying to be nice. And what you're doing is lying to yourself. And my dad just say, it's bad when someone fools you. But when you fool yourself, you know you're in trouble. Unity should exist in the local congregation. We have committed ourselves to see each other on a weekly basis. I don't even see my family on a weekly basis. I don't. I see you on a weekly basis. And we must live out the qualities that help us as we gather to display that we are living out. Listen to this. We are living out the very reconciliation that we say we have received from Christ. First, or John thirteen thirty four. a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. 
Christ has commanded that we love one another. It's not an option. It's a command. It's not depending on how you feel today. Not depending on what they've done to you. Christ has commanded that we love each other. And he's commanded that we love each other in a way that he has loved us. Think about that. What kind of love is is, is a Christ-like love? Well, it's humble. We must be humble. Humble humility is a willingness to serve one another. It's putting the other above your own needs. Do you see how everything that we've talked about plays into now this? receptive body, a present body. Well, Paul's commanded us to be humble. That means you're putting yourself above everyone or putting everyone else above yourself. For that's what Christ did. Laying down our lives for one another, if need be. The very fact of Christ's humility that he rescued us from our sin is evidence that we must love each other, be humble toward one another in that way. The more lowly minded you are, the more Christ-like we are. The more that we don't exalt ourselves to the point or put ourselves above others or even our personal offenses, the more Christ-like we are and the more the body is united. We must endure even when we are wrong. And we live in a fallen world. You will be wronged, especially in church. Unfortunately, in church, you will be wronged. We must not, though, when we are wronged, provoke one another's passions but provoke one another's graces if we are going to live out this kind of unity it is so important and if you say it's not important then this is more a commentary on your own life and on what you need to do and what christ is calling you to do how do we treat one another or how we treat one another will create what kind of community we have in this local church Will we be known as a people who love one another and speak the truth and love to one another? We must strive to create a community here that speaks the truth and love. Don't hold grudges. But I've forgiven them a hundred times. Jesus said, good. Seven times 70. And he was being facetious. That means don't stop forgiving. Don't stop offering graces. Dear ones, we have no righteousness that allows us to hold grudges, especially in light of the grace that we have been given in Christ. Who are we to hold a grudge? Who are we to hold back forgiveness when we have been forgiven so much? Let us not be like the the unfaithful uh, one who went to gather a debt, was was forgiven of so much debt, and then went to gather a debt that was so small. Forgive. Be known as being big forgivers, big lovers of the body. Unity takes work, and it's not a passive command here. It's an active command. There is no, well, I'm just going to let go and let God. (laughs) How many of you have found that that usually doesn't work? When there's something that needs to be taken care of, I'm going to let go and let God. It only works out when both of us take, both of us make efforts to saying, let's work this out. We can't sweep things under the rug. Let's take care of it. And it takes maximum effort in, you t- in maintaining the unity of the Spirit. The unity provided by the Spirit. We must make every effort to keep. Listen, God has a plan. He's called us to be actively involved in it. We must live out this calling. It's not only a witness to the local church that promotes unity. It's also a witness to the believing world. What kind of witness are we to the world? When we preach the love of Christ, but refuse to love our brother in Christ. Why would, why would the world want to be a part of, of such a contradiction? We do violence to the gospel when we preach reconciliation, but don't practice reconciliation among those whom we have been united by the Spirit of God. So since this is the plan of God, we must be eager to obey his command and love each other. Amen. Last and finally... In all of this, Christ shows his care for his own. In all of this, Christ shows his care for his own. Listen to this. The Son of God assumes a human nature. The Son of God assumes human human duties. The Son of God assumes human liabilities. He is born under the law. He lives, dies, and is awarded for his obedience with the resurrection. He is in his current session of ruling and reigning, and he will come again. He's left us in one sense... 
because of his ascension to the glory is, is a symbol that he is not of this world, right? And he is calling us to that. He's entered into glory. That we who are in Christ will also enter when we leave this place. He's entered into a glorified state in his humanity. So then how can Christ ascended, seated at the right hand of God, how does he show his care for us? When Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men. And then he gave men to churches. And they preach his word. And in the preaching of his word, the Savior extends his prophetic ministry through the preaching of the word. If indeed you have heard him, that is Christ, how do I hear Christ? Through the preaching of the word. Insofar as the preacher is faithful to God's word, he speaks on behalf of Christ. This is how Christ cares for his church. The church is for our good. Not building mega churches, not building empires, not building big business. For if that was the meaning of church, then we would all be out of business, right? We would, there would be no churches. Christ gives imperfect men, and I am the chief of imperfect men. But we preach. We preach the best we can, as faithfully as we can. To know God's word as best we can. To give to you God's word as best we can. And we fail, we err. But this is the way Christ causes his people to grow through his spirit. And usually when we hear the word and we are offended, it's usually not, not the word. Sometimes it is, but most of the time it's just us. Sometimes we fail to see the greatness of Christ. Sometimes we focus just on the flaws of men. He's caring for us. Be thankful for your pastors because pastors are thankful for the sheep. And we are one of the sheep. Keep your eyes on Christ. The Lord came for sinners, lived, died, and rose for them. And he's given sinners gifts in pastors of the local church. And in them, Christ is speaking to us through his word and through that preaching. Insofar as we are faithful, we speak on Christ's behalf. I say the same thing to you guys every week, don't I? Every week you're hearing the gospel. Wait till we get back to Genesis. You're going to say, didn't you preach this already? Seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. Two lines. You, you, you should know all those things by now. We're preaching the gospel every single week. But isn't the gospel a good reminder for your soul? Yes. We go out into the world. A world that has set its eye on destroying us. We wrestle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then we come after leaving that battlefield into an oasis that reminds us of the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That this is not our home. That we will go to a place one day and be united with Christ in that glory that he has entered into. And he is praying for you. Oh, what a joy it is to know that he is at the right hand of the Father. And read John 17 to know what, what is he praying He's praying that God will keep you. That he will keep you. Christ is our rock. He's immovable. He's stable. In a world that is unstable. In a world that is constantly shifting and changing. Christ is a rock. He is our rock. And we come each Lord's Day to remind us that in him we shall not be moved. And we gather with other believers. Who say with you. And I stand with you. We shall not be moved. We stand together. We need each other. I need you. You need me. And there are people here that need you more than you realize. How are you doing? Ask them, no, really, how are you doing? The cliche, God bless you. No, I want to hear how you are. How can I pray for you? How can I hold your hand through something? I encourage you on something. I know our, all of our, our, our similarities are not that. I don't like the Dodgers. Sorry, I'm a Yankee fan. We're mortal enemies. But you're my brother in Christ. And that's bigger than the team that we root for. My wife will sometimes tell me when we're out of town, I'll see a Filipino. And although I don't look it, I was raised with a, a very strong bent on that culture. So when I see a Filipino, hey, and I start talking to them like I'm like I'm real from the Philippines. My wife says, why do you do that? Why do you always talk like and that's my people? 
my son's looking at me now, but our our blood in Christ, the blood that we have been washed in in Christ, is strong. Goes even deeper than that blood, even deeper than those roots. I heard of two ministers who were both of the faith who were arguing over a specific doctrine. And I believe it was Spurgeon or it was uh, another who said, are we not both washed in the blood of Christ? What a strong statement to make. Let us stand hand in hand together. Matthew sixteen eighteen. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let us not do damage to that great promise of Christ. We can't stop it. He's promised to, but will we be a part of it? I pray that we are. Let us pray.